1: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that wonders who's buried in the grave of the guy that invented the old switcheroo. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the captain.
0: Yeah, it's good to be seen. Good to see you. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend.
1: Today, we are switching things up a bit here. We are still drinking fine beer from our friends at Fat Bottom Brewing Company, but today we are going with their other beer made for Major League Soccer in Nashville's own soccer club. This delightful brew is called Pitch Invasion. This is a lager. It's crisp. It's clean. It's delicious. It's a traditional American lager with super crushability, ABV, 4.5% garage grade three and three-quarter bottle caps out of five and let's give some praise and thank yous to our good friends for helping us out with this week's show first up a big cheers to regina in Mackinac, illinois
0: and a big shout out to gwen in alexandria virginia
1: here's a cheers to fatma in dearborn michigan
0: a big shout out to jill in elkhart indiana
1: Next, we have Valenta and we also have Diane, both who reside in Beautiful Parts Unknown and both who donated very generously to this week's beer fund. So we, of course, send Valenta and Diane a big, warm Ron Swanson, please and thank you because they, along with everyone else we just mentioned here today, well, they went to TrueCrimeGarage.com and helped us out with this week's shows. And for that, we thank you.
0: Yeah, B W W R U N beer run. How about you treat yourself? Go to our store page and treat yourself. We have a bunch of new shirts. I think you'll look fabulous in one of them. And you get to support the show in the process. Keep the lights on. Keep the beers flowing. And uh, keep that paycheck coming into the colonel. And, Colonel, that's enough of the business.
1: All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
2: to driving on the interstates and hardly give it a second thought, but we should. Some of the nation's worst criminals, including serial killers, prowl those busy highways. Tonight, News 13's Kim Holland is on special assignment to report on the danger and a new weapon to fight it. She was somebody's daughter, most likely murdered and dumped in the harsh New Mexico desert. She still had a ribbon on her from a county fair in Missouri and she wore handmade jewelry. Her bloody body buried in a shallow grave. Two men on horseback stumbled upon the body here in 1999, just outside of Grant's. The case had grown cold, so 10 years later in 2009, the FBI headed back out to the woman's gravesite.
1: Her body has never been identified, so we never found a wallet or any ID.
2: The interstate roadway system connects cities, towns, and communities across the country, allowing anyone with a vehicle to move quickly easily and anonymously. Because the New Mexico Jane Doe was found near Interstate 40, the FBI wondered if she could have been murdered by a serial killer. We look at any connection to the highway. Just this year, the FBI utilized a new tool to try to crack the New Mexico case. They entered it into a program the agency created in 2004. All the cases in the database have one thing in common. The victim or suspect had some link to the interstate. Local law enforcement officers are able to submit violent crime cases involving rape, murder, found human remains, and suspicious kidnappings to the FBI. The FBI then decides if the case should be included in the database. This map shows the more than 500 cases that are in the serial killing database. THE FBI AND OFFICERS ACROSS THE COUNTRY CAN SEARCH THE SYSTEM TO SEE IF ANY OF THE CASES CAN BE CONNECTED AND TRACED BACK TO A SERIAL KILLER. OFTENTIMES INTERSTATES ALLOW FOR A CRIME OF OPPORTUNITY FOR KILLERS WHO TARGET DRUG USERS, PROSTITUTES AND HITCHHIKERS. INVESTIGATORS, FOR EXAMPLE, WILL LOOK FOR A LINK TO A TRANSIENT OR A TRUCK DRIVER. INTERSTATE AND YOU MAY FIND A DEATH HERE, MORE VICTIMS DOWN THE ROAD AND A KILLER AT THE END OF THE LINE." THAT'S EXACTLY WHAT SPURRED THE FBI'S HIGHWAY SERIAL KILLINGS DATABASE IN 2004. INVESTIGATORS NOTICED PATTERNS IN UP TO 200 UNSOLVED CASES. NUMEROUS PROSTITUTES WORKING TRUCK STOPS HAD BEEN KILLED AND DUMPED MOSTLY ALONG I-40 FROM OKLAHOMA ALL THE WAY TO THE EAST COAST. THE FEDS ALONG WITH LOCAL AGENCIES LINKED A BUNCH OF THE CASES AND ARRESTED LONG haul TRUCKER JOHN WILLIAMS AND HIS GIRL At the time, Rachel Cumberland, for about 20 of the murders. The FBI then realized cases not obviously related might be. So it created the Highway Serial Killings Database and opened it up to police and sheriff's departments across the country. So every law enforcement agency now can look into the database, put their cases in there, modify their cases, and do their own searches. And the system works agencies across the country with the help of the FBI have identified about 200 suspects in nearly 600 unsolved cases since the database began. Detectives in New Mexico have solved two of four cases in the database, although it doesn't appear they're connected to a serial killer yet. But they're still looking for the killer of New Mexico's Jane Doe. Investigators hope the Highway Serial Killers Initiative will help crack the case and bring a daughter back home to her family. Kim Holland, KRQE News 13. Now, if you would like to see the Highway Serial Killers Initiative map or check out the specific items found on Jane Doe's body, go to our website at krqe.com.
1: If you go to FBI.gov and you go to the category of seeking information, you will find a report and a poster seeking information to help solve the murder of Tammy J. Zawicky. And I'm going to read some information from that poster. I wish everybody will go to FBI.gov and view that there and review that information This is a good review of everything that we covered here yesterday in the garage, Captain. Uh And it says that Tammy Zawicki was found murdered in Lawrence County, Missouri, August 23rd, 1992. And it has a picture of her 1985 Pontiac T-1000 that she was driving. That was a white vehicle with New Jersey plates. The description of our victim, they have her listed as blonde hair. Height five foot two inches, tall, green eyes one hundred and twenty pounds, and she was a Caucasian female. There is a reward. the FBI is offering a reward for up to fifty thousand dollars for information leading to the identification of the individual or individuals responsible for this crime, and it gives us a little bit of a brief. History in this report that says Zwicky was reportedly last seen with her vehicle at mile marker 83 on Interstate 80 in central Illinois between 3 10 p.m. and 4 p.m. on August 23rd, 1992. It was also reported that a tractor trailer was seen near Zwicky's vehicle during this time period. The driver of the tractor trailer is described as a white male between 35 and 40 years of age. Over six feet tall with dark, bushy hair. Some of the victim's personal property is known to be missing. And I want everybody to pay close attention to these items here because finding these items, locating one of these items could be the breadcrumb in the trail that we need to create to lead us to Tammy's killer. So these missing items, these are known to be missing items, include a Canon 35 millimeter camera. A musical wristwatch. The watch is Loris brand. This one's very interesting to me here, Captain, because this doesn't—it's not a one-of-a-kind item, but it's an item that I've never heard of before. So it must be somewhat rare, right? right. This wristwatch, Loris brand, L O R U S. In case I'm not saying that correct correctly, but at the time that she went missing. The watch played the tune raindrops keep falling on my head.
0: That's interesting.
1: So this item would be of particular interest if anyone can locate an item like that.
0: And why these are important because we know that a lot of killers like to keep items of their victims as souvenirs might be some items that you would stumble upon your uncle's office or something where it doesn't make sense for them to have these items.
1: Now, we went through the disappearance yesterday. We went through all of the items in the timeline as and the details of the early investigation. And what we have now here, Captain, is we're kind of lost in the aftermath a little bit. We have her parents, her family, who are searching for answers. We have investigators in three different agencies that we know of that are working the case. We have Tammy's parents, Hank and Joanne, who they appeared on a couple of different TV shows and radio shows trying to raise awareness for their daughter's case. They appeared on AM Philadelphia, and they also appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show. And on the Oprah Winfrey show, they were focusing in on highway murders of women. We have a quote from Joanne, her mother, who says, As tough as it was emotionally to talk about, we decided on lots of exposure to keep Tammy's story alive. Her husband, Hank, added that they wanted to help take back America's highways. Then expressing his frustration at the slow pace of the investigation, at the time of the Oprah Winfrey show, he stated, I just want them to find the person who killed our daughter. If they don't catch that son of a bitch, I don't know what I will do.
0: Yeah, sad stuff.
1: Now, we have Joanne's sister, Bonnie, who says losing your kid is every parent's worst nightmare. She said, I just told Joanne, hang in there. If you let yourself fall apart, the criminal hasn't only taken one life, but two or more.
0: And I understand the parents' frustrations, but these types of crimes are very hard to investigate because we don't know exactly who was in that area or why they were in that area.
1: Agreed. And this is very likely a stranger-on-stranger stranger crime, and we're probably dealing with an individual that has the ability to travel a great distance in a short period of time. Again, the other problems with the investigation will be that we don't know when exactly she was killed. Or where, So we are missing at least one crime scene in this case. We have some more quotes from her mother, Joanne, and she says it's coming on one year. So this is leading up to the one year, very sad anniversary of their daughter's first disappearance and then death. Right. She says it's coming up on a year, still no results from the investigation. But what can I do? I have no faith in the FBI or police. In particular, she is concerned about a recent loss of possible evidence. The evidence was this. We have witnesses at a gas station near where Tammy's body was found. They reported seeing a truck and a trucker that might be, could be linked to Tammy's case. Yet police who initially said they had collected receipts from this gas station, turns out that they never actually did. And the receipts were eventually thrown away. Master Sergeant Harold Hendrickson of the Illinois State Police said the oversight occurred because they were simply stretched too thin.
0: In this case, like many others, the victims' parents take on this responsibility on themselves. They don't trust the FBI. They don't trust the police department. So they're going to start reaching out and trying to support other individuals that have been through the same type of situation and trying to bring awareness to crimes of this nature.
1: The first of these situations of giving back and being an advocate, not only for their daughter, but for other victims out there. To my knowledge, Captain came before just the day before Tammy would have turned 22 years old. When we have Joanne, her mother, who stood before about 50 or so students. She was a speaker for a talk sponsored by the South Jersey Survivors of Violent Crimes To have an impact to make people aware of highway homicides in America, of prevention of such crimes, and the role of police. This would become a mission, one that would soon blossom into other talks, other support group visits from Joanne and members of Tammy's family. In Iowa, a local private detective had volunteered his services to Tammy's family. This is former Grinnell police chief Jim Ahrens. He was investigating trucking companies and their routes. He and the police believed the likely killer of Tammy was a trucker because Tammy's body was found a sufficient distance down the on-ramp to have been dumped from the back of a truck. So this is really interesting here, Captain, because we got two angles to this theory. Right. Right. One angle is that because her body was transported such a great distance away in a somewhat relatively short period of time, it makes sense that the killer had the ability to do this. And so, therefore, a trucker would fit this scenario and could be a a possible occupation of our suspect.
0: Yeah, makes sense.
1: But they're going to double down on this thought and this theory, this Jim Ahrens, who... Is saying that us and the police, when we look at where her body was located, where, where, where it was actually found 14 feet from the side of that on ramp or off ramp, they're saying that if you took a truck and you lined it up to just where, where it would meet to, you know, get almost to the turn. So we have a tractor trailer. Right. The back of the trailer is about the distance from where her body was found to where the vehicle would make the turn. That makes sense. So it almost like fit perfectly, right? Like it's almost like a puzzle piece when you're looking at this crime scene of where her body was eventually located. The private detective goes on to say that he also believed that the murderer may be responsible for other unsolved cases in that region. he said, I want nothing to do with the reward. I just want to catch the guy. I believe he's still out there, and I think he's going to do it again. Now, at the time of that interview, the private detective was referring to the $100,000 reward that was offered up by an anonymous Pennsylvania donor to anyone with a tip that would help arrest and convict the murderer of Tammy Zwicki. Right. As he had in the past, her father, Hank, continued to feel that he was somewhat, somehow, Partly responsible for his daughter's fate
0: because of the um, faulty car.
1: Well, so they've heard a lot of pushback from the general public, right? They've a little bit of victim blaming here saying, you know, why wasn't she driving a, a safer vehicle, a better running vehicle? Why was she traveling alone? And,
0: because she's a college student and you know how much college costs?
1: Well, and not only that, this this is here's the thing. We don't need the public to point that out to the parents of a dead child that when their child has been murdered. No, they they wrestle off. with all these with all these thoughts and, and second guessing themselves and questioning everything they did every day. Every day. So we don't have to do that for them. Trust me, that this is something that when, when your child is taken from you and when your a loved one is killed, especially a child that you, you are supposed to be protecting, right, that you're going to blame yourself. You're going to blame things that you did or did not do through the course of their lifetime and say, constantly go, what if I could have done this? What if I, sh- maybe I should have done this? And this is just another example. He's saying that he feels partly responsible for his daughter's fate because he, he raised her to be cautious with strangers, saying that maybe if she had been more of a free spirit or if I had raised her to be more of a free spirit, then she would have just taken the first ride that was available to her and got through the whole thing without a problem. You know, we did say that multiple people, according to witnesses, stopped that day. So maybe the killer, the abductor, would seem to be one of the last or the last person to stop. And he's saying, if I just would have raised her different and, and taught her to not be so cautious and worried about strangers, then maybe she would have just taken the first ride, just got in. And maybe that wouldn't have been a problem. It would have been somebody that would have been okay for her to ride right, with.
0: But the, the first person that stops could be the, the murderer, you know, yeah, like, I, I, I understand what you're saying in this case. It seems like a multiple p- people stopped, but, there could be a situation where the only person that does stop is somebody that's there to harm you.
1: Well, exactly. There's no correct answer to these questions or these things that, that eat these family members up of victims. I mean, this stuff eats at you. And he goes on to say in this article, he said that what's so frustrating, there are prostitutes and other kinds of women in crazy situations and they're still alive. Then there's a kid like Tammy, someone you protected, nurtured, and guided. She worked hard, went to school on a scholarship, did all of the right things, and someone takes her life. It's unfair, totally wrong. He says people talk about God and how he controls things. Well, why did he let this happen? Right. I do want to go on to point out some of the better things here in regard to the family and and their thoughts. You know, when, when pressed with those types of questions, why was she traveling alone? The Zwickys have said, quote, Tammy has incredibly good judgment. She wouldn't get into a car with a stranger. Her mother pointed out Tammy's street smarts, adding that her daughter was a strong-willed, tough cookie who worked in many jobs throughout her life. And keep in mind, she traveled to Spain on her own. She was in another country for a semester, less than a year before she is abducted and killed. Right, but a
0: person with a knife or a person with a gun, it's a whole different scenario. Maybe she is the type of person that wouldn't have gotten in a car with a stranger, but that gun, that knife, told her otherwise.
1: Agreed. You may not have a a choice in the matter, but what the family's pointing out is they're saying, what— Why would we have any concern of her traveling by herself? Right. You know, this is nothing new to her. She went to a whole nother country by herself for a semester. Well, and
0: as a parent, at some point you have to let go and let them venture off into the world. You can't protect them 24-7.
1: Yeah, if your kid is 57 years old and you're still a helicopter mom, well, (laughs) there's other problems going on in that dynamic.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could put your child in a bubble if you want. Bubble boy.
1: Well, let's get into some of the possible suspects, because we do have suspects that have been that we will recognize by name here. So the first one is Clark Perry Baldwin. He's a long haul trucker from Iowa. He was arrested in May of 2020. This after forensic genealogy linked his DNA to the 1990s era slangs of three different women women from Wyoming and Tennessee. The Des Moines Register reported that Clark Perry Baldwin, age 58 at the time, was taken into custody at his Waterloo home after investigators linked his DNA with semen and other materials recovered from the victims, uh, two of whom were pregnant. Baldwin worked as an over-the-road truck driver for most of his career, living in Nashua and Waterloo, Iowa, and Springfield, and Springfield, Missouri. In 1991, he was charged with raping a 21-year-old hitchhiker at gunpoint in Wheeling County, Texas. The woman told police that Baldwin struck her on the head, bound her hands and mouth, and tried to choke her to death. He allegedly admitted to the assault, but was released pending grand jury proceedings. The charges were then dismissed after the state was unable to locate the victim. That's according to court documents.
0: Well, what else do we have on this giant pile of donkey turds?
1: We'll go back to the register for this next bit, which says the 1990s murders Baldwin is accused of include the 91 murders in Tennessee of 32-year-old Pamela Rose McCall and her unborn fetus. Pamela was last seen at a Tennessee truck stop days before she was found in the woods off of Interstate 65 in Spring Hill, Tennessee. She was located in March of 91. An autopsy determined she had neck injuries and died of strangulation. Sperm was recovered from pantyhose that she was wearing. In Wyoming, Baldwin was charged in the deaths of two women whose bodies were found in 1992 The bodies were found roughly 400 miles apart. The women were never identified, unfortunately, and are referred to as Bitter Creek Betty and I-90 Jane Doe.
0: All these crimes are going to be linked through CODIS.
1: And forensic genealogy was conducted to lead detectives and investigators to Baldwin. According to investigators, they had always suspected that a truck driver killed the three women in all three cases here. We learned, Captain, that investigators zeroed in on Baldwin after finding DNA in commercial genealogy databases of someone related to this suspect, to his profile. Uh, Court documents state this. Now, we had Waterloo FBI who secretly collected DNA from Baldwin's trash and a shopping cart he used at a Walmart, and testing revealed that we have a match and according to CBS news investigators from multiple States, this after we've already figured out, boom, this guy is a long haul trucker and boom, he's a serial killer. Investigators from multiple States started looking into whether Baldwin could be responsible for several other unsolved homicides. And we have detectives with the Iowa division of criminal investigation that stated we are looking at any connections that Baldwin may have had to other cold cases. Right. One case involves the 1992 death of Tammy Joe Zwicky, age 21, an Iowa college student who was last seen after her car broke down on Interstate 80 in Illinois. So investigators from multiple states are looking at this Clark Perry Baldwin for possible involvement in any of their unsolved highway killings. Good news here. They have his DNA. They've already connected his DNA to multiple cases that we know of. Unfortunately, shortly, unfortunately, recently, what we learned here, Captain, is that while they were looking at Baldwin in the case of Tammy Joe Jozewicki, they have recently backed away from that idea. Now, I have seen it reported that DNA evidence has proven that he's not the perpetrator of Tammy's murder. However, it's a little inconclusive. I've not seen anything to back that statement up. I've only found that in one location, so I'm a little I'm a little sketchy of that being the absolute in this case, but it would make sense knowing that they do have his DNA.
0: Right.
1: We should note though that the case that kicked off All of these different stories that we've reviewed this week and last week is the unsolved murder of Kristen Schmidt. We should note that Baldwin was a free man driving around this country when Kristen Schmidt was killed.
0: He wasn't apprehended until 2020. Maybe not responsible for murdering Tammy, but possibly responsible for murdering Kristen.
1: while your subscription is active.
0: All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. We have no bad edits. Ever. Ever. But we've had a couple people complaining saying that they're listening to the show and it's, like, repeating lines. So you want to make sure that, one, you're subscribed to, that you're downloading the episodes, or that you're listening through Wi-Fi. If you're not and it loses signal, it will rebuffer back to a spot that was previously downloaded as you're streaming. So that's why you're probably hearing lines repeated. So... You want to make sure that you subscribe, download, or listen to the show through Wi-Fi. Thank you so much for that.
1: This is going to lead us to a case where the Highway Serial Killer Initiative by the FBI provided information that assisted local law enforcement with homing in on a killer, a killer trucker. This takes place in 2007 when Sergeant Pat Postiglione A veteran homicide investigator with the Nashville Police Department had a case in which a 25-year-old sex worker named Sarah Holbert was found on June 26, 2007. Her body was found behind a truck stop in Nashville, Tennessee. She had been shot with a 22 caliber gun and a plastic bag fastened over her head with electrical tape. Just three weeks earlier, on June 6th, 48-year-old Samantha Winters, also a sex worker, had been found in a trash can at the Pilot Travel Center on Highway 231 in Lebanon, Tennessee. She was also shot with a 22 caliber, and her head was bagged as well. Now, on a hunch, our detective called the FBI and learned that, sure enough— there were a number of recent cases in which sex workers were found dead along highways in the states of Georgia and Tennessee and they all had been shot with a 22 caliber gun. So our detective and his partner spent hundreds of hours reviewing videotape footage from the truck stop from the night that Sarah disappeared, checking out all the big rigs that came in and out and looking for anything suspicious. They noted one yellow truck that parked and departed within a 30 minute window. So very short for a typical trucker stop. They put out a be on the lookout for the truck purely on instinct. And the next day, our detective found that truck at a truck stop near an area known to be frequented by sex workers. So he goes up to the truck, knocks on the cab. We get a generic-looking white man that comes out of the truck. His name was Bruce Mendenhall. Now, this is from the L.A. Times. Quote, his shirt was unbuttoned and he wore no shoes. As Postiglione, that's our detective, sized him up, he said he noticed a speck of blood on the man's thumb and what he thought were several corresponding drops on the driver's door of the truck. Mendenhall calmly agreed to submit to a DNA swab and signed a consent form granting the detective permission to search his truck. Guess what they found in the truck?
0: A thong, some whipped cream, and a nine iron.
1: A cell phone, an ATM card that did not belong to him. In fact, it belonged to a 31-year-old mother of two who had gone missing from a truck stop near Indianapolis just 12 hours earlier. He also found bloody women's clothing in a plastic bag, gun cartridges a rifle, tape, a nightstick, latex gloves, handcuffs, sex toys, and more than 300 items of what was listed as items of interest.
0: They found blood or DNA that would link him to five victims.
1: Linking him to at least five female victims, this all located inside his truck And that is not the worst of it. Right. You think it can't get worse than anything that these two garage yahoos have already listed for me. No, it does because they found a piece of cut out flesh containing the tattoo of what would turn out to be one of his victims.
0: So he does had a random piece of flesh that had a tattoo on it as a souvenir.
1: Yeah. Who knows? I'm not going to try to get inside his mind. I don't think this is a, um, Jane gum situation, Buffalo bill situation where he's creating a skin suit. This to me might be, we've seen this in some other cases where a killer will, in the hopes of the victim, not being able to be identified, will remove a tattoo by cutting off the flesh where the tattoo is on the body. And so that appears to be what he did here, either to, deter investigators, make it more difficult for them to identify the victim. Or as you said, who knows, this could just be some kind of sick, weird souvenir that he kept for any number of disgusting reasons. Now, fortunately he's picked up by this good detective who not lazy, not stupid, did all the extra work, did all the smart stuff and got this monster off of our highways And in 2010, this Bruce Mandenhall guy was convicted of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. He eventually confessed to killing six women. These were women who had last been seen near truck stops in Tennessee, Indiana, Georgia, and Alabama.
0: We prefer the smart, not stupid, not lazy police officers.
1: But on the flip side of that, Captain, we prefer stupid and lazy criminals. So... Listen to this, because when this Bruce Mendenhall, while he's awaiting trial, he digs himself a little bit deeper, right? By offering to pay two other inmates to kill three witnesses who were scheduled to testify against him.
0: What a dumbass.
1: Now, police catch on to this as well. This ends up earning Mendenhall a conviction for conspiracy to commit murder and an additional 30 years. Test run on the blood that was found in Hall's truck showed that it belonged to Letitia Milliken, a 28-year-old drug-addicted transient from Tennessee. Letitia was reported missing in June of 2007. Her family hadn't heard from her in some time. Now, blood links him to her disappearance. Unfortunately, she has never been located. Her body has never been found.
0: So he's a a scumbag, but how would he be connected to Schmidt's case or Zwicky's case?
1: Well, of course, the obvious answer here is that he's a long-haul truck driver, and in both situations, that is where the investigation is taking investigators. So Mm -hmm. he's reportedly a suspect in multiple other murders. Keep in mind, Mendenhall was a trucker for 18 years. Who knows how many women he could have killed during that time period. We know that he's guilty of six. Um, He's suspected in several other homicides. One of those is, in fact, Tammy Zawicki, our Grinnell College student that was found stabbed to death in 92. The one that we spent the majority of yesterday talking about. Now, this report here states that Mendenhall is the prime suspect in Tammy's murder. And I think that part of this is because he was based in Illinois. This is where Tammy went missing from the last known location of where Tammy was before she was later found killed. But it's interesting to me here, Captain, that on several news outlets, we find that Bruce Mendenhall is listed as the prime suspect in Tammy Zawicki's case. And I'm not doubting those sources, I'm simply pointing out that if you go to other news outlets, they actually suggest that another guy is the prime suspect in Tammy's murder. Now, Mendenhall has a few nasty monikers and is known by the names of the truck stop killer, the rest stop killer, and the prosty
0: shooter. Now, those names aren't cool, but his name should be more like wrinkly balls panty sniffer killer he
1: was not picked up until 2007 and as we just stated he is listed by some news outlets as the prime suspect in Tammy's case but because he was not arrested until 2007 Kristen Schmidt could possibly be one of his victims although the caveat here with Bruce Mendenhall being the perpetrator of Kristen's murder is that he was not known to travel to the Pacific Northwest. So we don't have anything directly linking him to Oregon where she was picked up. Now, some words from the great detective Pat Postiglione, who retired from Nashville homicide after 25 years on the force and was the one to crack the case that ultimately took down the, this trucker, serial killer, Bruce Mendenhall. He said, quote, there's evil out there, unfortunately. I wish that wasn't the case, but there's real evil out there. There's true evil and it lurks everywhere. You have to really be aware of your surroundings. Bruce Mendenhall did not have killer printed on his forehead. You would walk past him in a grocery store and not look twice at him. Just said stupid. This is going to bring us to another suspect. In Tammy's case, a short list of suspects, which included the name of a man named Lonnie Beardbroke. This man was detained and interviewed just two months after Tammy's body was found. Lonnie then was tr- Lonnie then was 32 years old. He had served some time in prison, nine years for two counts of armed robbery. He received concurrent 20 year sentences,
0: but there were significantly reduced
1: Unfortunately, yes. And what this points out, though, is a history of violence or violent crimes committed by this individual. Right. Now, I don't know how cooperative he was with their investigation or during the course of these interviews that took place two months after Tammy's body was found. The reports do state, Captain, that he did give or was forced to give hair samples and fingerprints. But today, what we learn is that investigators are saying the problem with that is great. He gave us hair samples and fingerprints, but we don't have a whole lot of physical evidence in this case, right? There wasn't a whole lot of physical evidence found with Tammy's body and authorities didn't know where the crime scene was or even when the murder had taken place. So again, we're missing that other crime scene. We were missing the location where she was killed and We know she was killed due to being stabbed, but law enforcement has never recovered the murder weapon. Right. So there's not a lot that we're working with here. Now they had to let this Lonnie Beardbroke broke go, right? Because they don't have any evidence directly connecting him to Tammy's murder. And when they did, even though they liked him a lot, they didn't make, they didn't make his name public at that time. Now, this his story is is really interesting in the way that it's all tied up in with Tammy's case, and this is why I kind of question those other outlets that say Bruce Mendenhall is the prime suspect in Tammy's case. Right, because we have one witness that doubles down on that doubles down on this Lonnie person being a good suspect. So, in January of nineteen ninety three, right, Tammy was killed in ninety two. We have a nurse. We'll just refer to her as a nurse. Her husband was a judge. Okay. So that adds to some credibility here on her part. She calls the state police in regard to Tammy's case. She's calling for the second time. This is January of 93. She's calling for the second time. The first time she called, her first call was made shortly after Tammy went missing. This woman witnessed Tammy on the side of the road, on the side of Interstate eighty. She had given a description of a man that she said she saw standing with Tammy on that day in that question in that in that time that's in question. In her second call, she said that the man she saw had came into her clinic. So she sees a guy with Tammy on the day that Tammy goes missing. She reports this shortly after Tammy goes missing to police. Now she's on the phone a second time months later in January because she's going, oh yeah, you know the guy that I told you I saw standing with Tammy that day? He's in my office right now. Right. It's the same guy. So I couldn't provide you with a name before to go track this guy down and interview him. But today I know his name because he's in my clinic.
0: There he is. Got him.
1: So she identified him to police as Lonnie Beardbrod. And this man was from Missouri uh, who had family in the LaSalle area. So think about this he has family in the general area of where she goes missing. Right. He also has ties to the area, the general area where she's found. Well, that's kind of difficult considering that they're 490 miles apart. That's a tough coincidence to get over when you have this guy that you can now interview.
0: Yeah, that's a real quinky-dink.
1: I don't know how aggressively police pursued him. There's some reports out there that say that they they may not have taken some of these calls as seriously as they should have. I don't want to go too far down that road because I don't know the details of of such.
0: Well, also sometimes they're just understaffed.
1: What we What we do have today when we look back on the case is just detectives saying that they think several things in regard to this witness, her statements, and Lonnie as a potential suspect. So detectives say, one, the nurse, we believe her to be a credible witness. And on top of that, they find her statement, her witness statement, extra valuable, and they let it carry a little more weight because they say one, she knows the time that she saw Tammy. And this is based off of fact because she had just left a McDonald's restaurant, just swung through the drive-thru, picked up some McDonald's and she had her receipt, which was time-stamped, And she said that she went to the McDonald's shortly before she saw Tammy and the man that she described standing with Tammy. So we have, we don't have somebody looking back and going, oh, I think it was on that day that the girl went missing. No, we have a date and a time stamp that puts this witness in the area. Of- yeah, it
0: confirms the time and exactly. the date, yeah.
1: Exactly. So, according to investigators, when they start looking into this Lonnie guy.
0: shitbag, bag, shit face.
1: Supposedly, he's on vacation from his truck driving job. He's also a trucker when Tammy went missing. He's supposedly on vacation at this time. Now his wife says, well, he couldn't have picked up Tammy and killed her because he was at home with me in Missouri. Again, where they live is not terribly far from where Tammy's body was found. The other thing, too, is they figured out that this Lonnie character once owned a green Datsun truck.
0: The one that a bunch of eyewitnesses thought they saw.
1: Yeah. So we have this tractor trailer truck that's seen and we'll, we'll, we've provided a description for that and we'll look to put some pictures on our social media of this tractor trailer truck that they were looking for information on. But we also had this witness that said they saw a green Datsun truck. I'm assuming that that witness is the same as the nurse. I don't know that for certain, but we do know that at least one witness said they saw this green Datsun truck. Lonnie happened to own one at the time that Tammy went missing. And, oh, by the way, uh-huh. police later find out that he cleaned it, steam cleaned it, and sold the truck shortly after Tammy's body was found.
0: Surprise, surprise. But seems like there's a pile of evidence piling up on this pile of shit.
1: That there is, and, in fact, there's at least one detective uh, retired now that's on record with several news outlets saying look he Lonnie Beerbrod was our prime suspect I believe that he is guilty of killing Tammy he thinks that the case is solvable so much so that he says that he thinks that there is enough that they could lay out there to the public to convince everyone that they could go ahead and close out the case now what's interesting to me is, Let's find some more evidence on this guy. I I don't want to just close something out. It'd be nice to get some DNA connecting this guy. One problem, though, is Lonnie passed away in 2002. Another very strange thing in the Lonnie being a suspect situation is it's been reported. I've not seen any names linking this or really tying down this fact a little bit better Or putting a bow on it, but it's been reported that he gave a watch that was similar or damn near the same as the one that was missing from Tammy and from her car when she was found killed. The plays, the raindrops keep falling on my head that he gave a watch to somebody that he knew. I believe a a family member gave this as a gift. Again, I don't think that that's a a one-of-a-kind item, but I think we all can agree here in the garage that that seems like a rather unique
0: item. Yeah, very unique.
1: That there's maybe not 100 million of them out there.
0: Unique New York. And so that seems like... There's less than 100 million of
1: them. Yes, it seems like that's an awfully big coincidence to kind of get over. That's a big hurdle to get over and not connect him to Tammy's case.
0: Another quinky dink.
1: Now, we don't have anything linking him to Kristen's case. I know we went through several individuals, and in fact, we could have spent a whole year going through this FBI's Highway Serial Killer Initiative. Once you start looking at all the suspected serial killers, looking at all their victims, looking at each of the actual trucker serial killers that came up, and I still think that that is going to be how they track down Kristen Schmidt's killer. That is going to be the avenue that leads them to Kristen Schmidt's killer. I think it's a very solvable case. Me too. I think Tammy's case is very solvable. And in a lot of ways, I'm rather pissed off that Tammy's case isn't solved. It seems like there was a lot of meat on the bone there, a lot to work with. And if maybe certain people at certain agencies would have just acted a little quicker, maybe we wouldn't find ourselves in this situation. The situation is this. We're just a month away from the 30 year anniversary of when Tammy was
0: taken and killed. A long time has passed, but that's too long without any answers. That's too long without any justice.
1: Well, and then double down on that here, Captain, because next year, in June of next year, will be 20 years since Kristen Schmidt was killed. Now, back to Kristen's case, we posed a series of questions on the unsolved murder of Kristen Schmidt to the Oregon State Police. One of them was in reference to a 2015 article in the Legrand Observer, which reports that police have identified a suspect and a person of interest several years ago, but no arrests have been made. The Oregon State Police would not answer our questions about that person or persons. But it's worth noting that the OSP detective Greg Rutherford told the Observer that investigators believe Kristen fell victim to a serial killer, saying, quote, we suspect it was a serial killer because of the method of death. The killer appeared to be experienced. He said that there were details about the manner of death that they were keeping close to the vest because only the killer would know them. Then D.A. Martin Birnbaum told the East Oregonian way back in 2003, Quote, they're running tests to try to find out if there's any DNA that can be salvaged from Kristen. And guess what? They do, DO do have DNA from Kristen's killer.
0: That's awesome.
1: They were able to extract a profile from the sexual assault kit and some blood found on Kristen. Right. We don't know why the killer was bleeding. Perhaps Kristen scratched him. Hopefully she fought like hell and clawed him damn near to death or perhaps he cut himself hitting her or on a weapon that has not been disclosed by police. The OSP would not tell us when we asked this question, but good news. The two samples yielded one consistent DNA profile. The OSP told us in an email suspect profile. DNA was loaded into CODIS early on. And to date there have been no suspect hits from CODIS, but the agency also told us something else. Here is the email exchange. True Crime Garage. What is the current status of the investigation? Are you considering the use of forensic genealogy? Answer. Forensic genealogy testing is pending for suspect DNA I- identification. Pending. To us, it sounds as though the DNA profile from Kristen's killer has been submitted for forensic genealogy analysis. Right. And we might have some answers soon as to who killed this young woman i'm hoping that the same thing is happening in tammy's case and that we are only days weeks maybe even a couple of months away from solving one if not both of these horrific murders
0: Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for joining us here. And let us enter your earballs for another couple hours. Colonel, do you have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners?
1: We'd like to recommend Ginger Strand's book, Killer on the Road Violence and the American Interstate. Ginger Strand set out to write a book about the interstate highway system, but became so taken with the number of murders that the project morphed into a study on highway homicides and the suspects who commit them. Check out Killer on the Road, Violence in the American Interstate. You can find that great title and many more great recommendations on TrueCrimeGarage.com's recommended
0: page. And make sure you follow us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. We appreciate it. Until next week, be good, be kind, and don't wither.